Shalom, shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight, we're going to finish off the book of Joshua. We're going to be reading Joshua chapters 22, 23, 24. Also, responding to your questions and your comments live. I do have another, I have a, a comment that was posted on a video, one of my videos on YouTube that I want to get at um, before we get into Joshua. But speaking of comments, Let's see what we have here in the live chat so far. We have uh, Kalamentos, who says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Kalamentos. 1 John 2.26, Shalom, Shalom. Welcome, brother. Good to see you. Jordan says, Shalom and Shavuot Tov. Shalom and Shavuot Tov to you as well, brother. Welcome, welcome and blessings. For those of you who uh, don't know, if you haven't seen the uh, scheduled video yet, uh, we have uh, Jordan, who is going to be joining us this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, Eastern. Okay, so um, he's going to be joining us for a little while. He's going to be singing some uh, singing some songs, a little bit of fellowship, and so I'm really really looking forward to that. You may have seen uh, the uh, the scheduled live uh live stream on on that so if you haven't seen it there you go make sure you join us for wednesday because on wednesday uh jordan will be with us giving us blessing us with some live music and uh yeah we'll see what jordan has in store all right so we have will senior who also joined us here on youtube says uh, shalom shalom welcome brother as well as jeff shalom Shalom, Jeff. Welcome. Welcome. Blessings. Okay, so before I get into Joshua, I'm going to be finishing off Joshua, the whole book of Joshua. Actually, it's only about three chapters. And um, yeah, so that'll wrap it up for Joshua. But before I get into that, I have, um, let's see if I can pull this up here, if I can find it. Yeah, it's um, it's a comment that was left on one of my videos on YouTube a couple days ago. And so it's probably a, a troll, but at the same time, some of these questions uh, I think needs to be addressed, addressed because some people actually believe this stuff, okay? So um, let me just pull this up. I'll show you guys the question. I'll pull up the screen share here. Okay, here's the uh, the question. As honest as it is, <laughs> Manny says, so when you break the law, how are you redeemed? Okay, so this was, uh, in, in, with a little bit of context here, this, co this comment was left on a video, of course, where I was talking about um, how every, you know, God expects you to obey his instructions and his law. Um, and so, so this particular person says, so when you break, when you break the law, how are you redeemed? Also, do you stone those that break the law as it is written to do so? <clears throat> okay. So let's take this one step at a time. Two questions here. And again, like I said, normally I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, uh, address this kind of this kind of question, but I do, I do believe there are some people that actually believe this. And I understand there is a, a background to this. So 
The first question is, when you break the law, how are you redeemed? And so this question is based upon an error. It's a, it's, it's a false doctrine that would tell you that once you break the law, you cannot re- be redeemed a- a- apart from blood, basically. That's really what the teaching is. Once you break the law, it doesn't matter if it's just once in your life, you uh, you are a lawbreaker, therefore you need to be redeemed no matter, you know, no matter how sorry you are, no matter how much you will or will not ever do that again, you need to be redeemed. And so that particular concept is based upon what I commonly call the modern corrupt Christian narrative. And so over the centuries, evangelists have created their own need for Jesus. And I've always said this before, you know, Jesus does not need a salesman. Okay. He does not need a salesman. He does not need sales pitches. He does not need, you know, your uh, selling points. But over time, Somebody came up with this selling point where it's like, if you break the law, even if you break just one, just one, you break it all. And that means that you're, you need to be redeemed. And the only way to get redeemed is by the blood of the, of the spotless lamb. And that's basically what this is. This question is founded on. But it's an error. Because if you read the law, you see, this is the problem. A lot of Christians they don't read the law for themselves. They just go by what they've been told. They go by what their pastor has told them or what their favorite evangelist has told them. And that evangelist go, goes by what he, you know his mentor told him. And that mentor went by what his teacher at, the, at some sort of Bible school told him. And that teacher, you know, it just goes down the line. But nobody really actually reads the word of God and uses their brains to actually see and and understand what God actually said. So it's clear once you read the scriptures without any bias, it's clear. The way you get redeemed is repentance, period. Repentance and repentance alone. Blood in and of itself on all occasions does not redeem. That is what the Torah says. That is what the law says. That is what the word of God says. The word of God says that. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, it talks about how when you turn from your sin, God will will relent from sending the curses of the law upon you. You will be redeemed, in other words, or forgiven. You will have your sins atoned for. The common Christian error, the common Christian belief that you must have blood at all times, and without exception, to, to, uh, to receive or attain atonement or forgiveness of sins, is an error. Because... All you got to do is read the scriptures. 
you'll see over and over and over and over again, and Lord willing, we will go through all that stuff. We've already went through the entire New Testament, every word of it. We've, we've already went through the entire uh, quote-unquote Torah or the, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. We went through every single word, and we pointed it out every time we came across it so far. And that is that the people way back in those days made the same mistakes as Christians do today. But most Christians don't do their homework. They don't read for themselves. They don't think for themselves. The mistake that I'm referring to is the mistake to think that somehow blood covers your sin or somehow blood is a payment or debt for your sin, payment uh, for, for your debt of sin, basically, that it pays a debt. That's not how it works. That's not how it worked. Because we read over and over and over again. We read in Isaiah multiple times. We read in Jeremiah. We read in Amos chapter 5. We read in 2 Chronicles 7.14. We read in the book of Jonah. Excuse me, not the book of Jonah, um, because there's no sacrifices there. I'll get to that in a minute. But we'll read that. We read it over and over and over again. When God said to the sinners, your sacrifices, your in other words, your quote-unquote blood is an abomination to me. It's a stench in my nostrils. I cannot stand it. <laughs> I accidentally hit, a, accidentally hit a key when I said I cannot stand it. So this is the thing, right? If, if blood always covered sin... If blood always provided an atonement for sin, why did God say, I am rejecting your sacrifice, which he did many times, because of your sin? I'm rejecting your sacrifice because of your sin. That should tell you very, very plainly that the sacrifice in and of itself, now, I do say in and of itself, and I, and I do clarify by saying, you know, in every instance, because there are some instances when it, it, you know, there are instances, there are times when it does, it does work like that. Um, it's only when repentance is there, okay? Because it says in the scriptures, and I'm going to show you guys, especially Mr., especially Manny. Um, so, let's see. All you got to do is do a search on, you know, I'll, let me just do this. All you got to do is just do a search in any of your favorite Bible apps. Do a search for sacrifice abomination, okay? And see what, see what you come up with, okay? So go on down to Proverbs. How many times does God have to say this in order for it to be true? Well, he says it twice very clearly here. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Um, think about that for a moment. Just hold your, as they used to say in the old days, hold your horses. Think about that for a minute. Let the gears grind a little bit. It does not say the sacrifice of the wicked covers his sin. It doesn't say the wicked brings their sacrifice and it's pleasing to the Lord because it covers their sin, because it, quote unquote, pays their debt. It does not say that. 
The exact opposite. The, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. Again, uh, so that was Proverbs 15, 8. But again, in Proverbs 21, 27, it says the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. I know some people might try to twist those words and try to dance around it, theological, hermeneutical, philosophical dances. Dance around it all you want. But we see this in operation in the scriptures. Like, for example, we go to Amos chapter 5. I know I always refer to Amos chapter 5. And this is just this is just one instance of it. Um, let me hear. You know what? Let's let's read. Let's read a good portion of, of Amos chapter five. I mean, and think about this for a minute. As I'm reading it, think about this for a minute. Does the offerings, offerings is another word for sacrifices, right? The offerings can mean anything. Same with sacrifices can mean anything. Uh, what I mean is could be animal sacrifices, could be the first fruits of your crops, offerings. Um, offerings are, are also the animal sacrifices too. But Amos chapter 5, verse 4. For thus saith, for thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. But do not seek Bethel, nor enter Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live. Okay, again, please understand, this word live means, this word live means salvation, like the just shall live by faith. Okay, that's what it means. Seek the Lord and live. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, Bring your sacrifices and live because your sacrifices will cover your sin. Therefore, you you know, you you won't be you won't be um dead to you know, dead in this world as 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 uh, the apostle Paul would say, but you would be alive, right? No, it says seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it. With no one to quench it in Bethel. You who turn justice to wormwood, wormwood here is, um, um, what to say, it's an analogy or, uh, yeah, I guess you could call it an analogy of bitterness. Wormwood is very bitter. So you who turn justice to bitterness and lay righteousness to rest in the earth. In other words, you basically, you, you, uh, you bury righteousness, like, you know. He who uh, he made the Pleiades and Orion, he he turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day dark as night. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. Okay? In, in the original Hebrew, it's Yod Heh Wow Heh, right? The Tetragrammaton, sometimes pronounced as Yahweh, sometimes pronounced as Yahuwah, or there's other pronunciations that people believe that it could be as well. Amos chapter 5 verse 9. He rains ruin upon the strong so that fury comes upon the fort the fortress. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, right? Who's the one who rebukes in the gate by the way? That's that's the that's the street preacher, right? The gate is basically the um 
it's it's basically the highly trafficked intersection of the city, basically. Okay, so the prophet, the you know any prophet, any preacher would would go to the gate to you know because you go to the gate and you're pretty much going to be heard by almost everybody in the gate. They hate the one who rebukes in the gate. Sounds like today, right? All you got to do is rebuke somebody. It's like, oh my, they hate it. And they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, yet you will yet you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins afflicting the just and taking bribes, diverting the poor from justice at the gate. By the way, guys, there's a lot of this stuff going on today, even in, uh, in, on many levels, right from the government all the way down. Afflicting the just. Burying righteousness. Hating those who rebuke them. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at that time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live again. There's that promise of eternal life. There's that promise of salvation. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil. Love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be wailing in all the streets, and they shall say in the highways, Alas, alas! They shall call the farmer to mourning, and skillful skillful lamenters to wailing. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. What good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or as though he went into a house, leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Now, how you, somebody might say, well, how does this apply to us? Feast days are basically holidays. And a lot of Christians today would celebrate their Christian holidays. That would apply. In this situation. Well, Lord, I went to church on Easter. Well, Lord, I went to church at Christmas time. I despise your your holidays, your feast days, and do not savor your sacred assemblies. In, In other words, God is saying, I don't like your church. I don't like how you do church. I don't like 
your little churchianity business that's going on here. I know I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings, there are the animal sacrifices right there, right there, and your grain offerings. Okay, so it covers all bases, right? You got the farmers that 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 raise the cattle, and then you've got the farmers that would be, um, you know, planting and harvesting the crops. Though you offer me burnt offerings, in other words, the animal sacrifices, the blood, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. Again, animal sacrifices, the blood. I will not regard it. If if the animal sacrifices, if blood covered sin, it makes no sense here. Absolutely no sense. Because if blood covered, if, if the peace offerings and the burnt offerings and all these offerings and sacrifices covered sins, then why would God still be angry here? Why would he still be seeing the sin? It's like someone telling you, hey, um, you know, here, I got a gift card. You know, uh, here's a here's a gift card. Go into the store and buy yourself something with it, right? So you go to the store and you take the gift card. And the cashier says, sorry, we're not accepting this. That means, that means, you know, of course, I mean, it certainly doesn't cover the cost of anything. And that's what's happening here. God's saying your peace offerings, your burn offerings, your, your grain offerings, all of these offerings, they're not covering your sin. He's not accepting that. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. In other words, all those little pretty little CCM songs and praise choruses that you sing in church, I take it. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments. But, no, this is what there, this is the bottom line. But let, let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? Okay, which they did, right? They did offer all of these offerings, these animal sacrifices. You also carried Sukkoth, and this is a pagan deity, your king, Septuagint and Vulgate, read the tabernacle of Moloch, Moloch, uh, Chiyun, or Kiyun, a pagan deity, your idols, the star of your gar- gods, which you made for yourselves. So what's, what's God saying here? He said, well, look, you've offered, you did all these offerings. You offered all of these animal sacrifices and all the blood for 40 years, but you still practice idolatry here. So once again, if these sacrifices covered the sin, why does God still hold it against them? Verse 27, therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Now that's just one, just one more. Um, uh, just a second here. Just one more passage I'll read from Isaiah chapter sixty six, verse one. 
Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the, and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where is the place of my rest? For all of those things my hand has made. And all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. Don't you want God to look at you? Pay attention to you? Don't you want God's attention? On this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. What's that mean? That means humble, humility, who trembles at my word. He who kills a bull, there's the animal sacrifice, there's the blood right there. He who kills a bull as if he slays a man. In other words, God hates it. He who sacrifices a lamb, there's your your lamb sacrifice right there, as if he breaks a dog's neck. He who offers a a grain offering as if he offers swine's blood. He who burns incense as if he blesses an idol. Don't forget, in the book of Numbers, it says very clearly that burning incense is one way of atonement. That's without blood, by the way. Burning the incense. But in this context, burning the incense is just like blessing an idol, according to God. Just as they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their, in their abominations, so I will choose their delusions and bring their fears on them because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. So obviously God here is super angry with them and the blood didn't cut it. The blood didn't cut it. So that that the whole idea of blood covering sins always it's 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 just not true. And so this this particular um, question in the comment. So when you break the law, how are you redeemed? Well, I tell you one thing. You read in the in the law of God. You read in the the prophets. You read in your so-called quote unquote Old Testament. It tells you very clearly that you're not redeemed by the blood unless you repent. A lot of Christians know 2 Chronicles 7:14 you know, by heart. I mean, they, they, they memorized it. You know, it, the Lord said, God said, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land and forgive their sin. No blood sacrifice there. There's redemption, forgiveness, everything. Without, without, without the blood sacrifice. Same with 1 Kings chapter 8, where it talks about what if your people, this is Solomon, basically, just after he um, built the temple, it's like, what if your people, or basically when, not if, but when your people, when the people of Israel go into captivity, when they get driven to and, and they've been taken, um, driven into exile, and they go to an enemy land, how, how are they going to attain forgiveness? 
how are they going to have any kind of atonement? Because they have no access to the temple of God. And according to the law of God, you must do this, the animal sacrifices in the temple, no other place, in the designated spot where, where God chose to do the, the sacrifices. You can't just choose any place to, to, to offer the sacrifices. has to be at the, at the temple. So the question is, when the people of Israel go into exile, when they get driven into enemy lands, into foreign lands, far away, how are they going to get atonement? And the answer is very, very simple. In 1 Kings chapter 8, and let me just quickly go there. 46. When they sin against you, this is, this is Solomon praying, praying in, uh, to God. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, and they take them captive to the land of, of the enemy, far or near. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent, there's that key word right there, repent and make supplication to you. In other words, pray in the land of those who took them captive, saying, we have sinned and done wrong. We have committed wickedness. And when they return to you, again, talking about repentance there, they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen and the temple which I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place in their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion. Hey, that's that's another word for grace, guys. Grace, compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt out of the iron furnace that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them wherever they call to you. Okay, now again, without going too far into this, I mean, we read this over and over again. Uh, a couple of times actually there in 1 Kings chapter 8. We read it clearly in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Also, there is the story of Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh. Nineveh is not Jerusalem. They don't have a temple. It's not a Jewish city. It's an Assyrian city. Jonah goes to, to Nineveh and says, God's going to destroy this city. What did they do? What did these people do? Did they say, oh, we better go uh, get our, our lambs right now and, and sacrifice it to the Lord so that, so that the blood of the lamb would cover our sin. No. No, they didn't do that at all. Nothing like that. No animal sacrifices at all. All they did was repent, and God forgave their sin. They found redemption. They found atonement. And they, they come back to the right standing in the eyes of God just for repentance, just because of their repentance in accordance with 
Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19, all the way through to the end of the chapter. It's very, very clear. That is how, that's, that's really the, um, the gospel. That's the gospel in, in a nutshell, is repent and then God will look at you as if you have never, ever sinned in your life. So this question, when you break the law, how are you redeemed? The same way you have, you have always been redeemed and the same way you have always, you always will be redeemed. And that is repent. When Jesus went around preaching, it says the first thing he preached was repent. The last thing he preached to his church in, in, in the book of Revelation was repent. He said himself, I don't come for the righteous. Oh yeah, there are righteous people. They don't need me. I'm not here for them at all. I'm here for the sinners to call them to repentance. That was his purpose. Why would he say that? Because he knew the word of God. Of course, he would have to know the word of God. And he knew how repentance worked. If you think that you are saved and you are still a slave of sin, you are very, very deceived. If you think you can, you can just keep on sinning and somehow Jesus' blood just covers you. Even, even Paul, okay? Even Paul, the apostle of, the quote-unquote apostle of grace, he warned the church, not the people of the world. He warned the people of the church to the saints in Galatia. If you do any of these, right? This is Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. If, you know, you commit any of these, fornication, variation, emulations, revelings, adultery, idolatry, heresies, envyings, uncleanness, lasciviousness, drunkenness, murderings, sedition, sorcery, prostitution, and lying, and anything like that. I mean, that pretty much covers all bases right there. Anything like that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. There it is, laid out, laid out on the line right there. Believe it or not, as much as Christians love to use Galatians to say that you don't have to go by Torah anymore, and yeah, it's, I mean, Galatians chapter 2, 3, 4, and part of 5 too, I mean, take it for what it is. I mean, if Paul contradicts himself or not, the fact of the matter is, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, 21, is pure Torah. That's pure Torah. That's, that's it right there. Same with 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Same kind of deal. Paul gives you a whole laundry list of sins and says, if you do any of these, anything like it, don't even get close to any of this stuff. Because if you do, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Boom. There it is right there. Whether he knows it or not, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, that's actually Torah. So even according to Paul, in that context, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, you're not redeemed if you're doing those things. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or whatever, okay? Because he wrote to the quote-unquote saints. Of, in Galatia, the saints in Corinth. 
And he warned them with that very, very serious warning. So that's the answer to that question, Manny. When you break the law, how are you redeemed? Repentance. Simple. Plain. Clear. Repentance. That's it. Second question. Also, do you stone those that break the law as it is written to do so? This is another common misunderstanding and misinterpretation. I mean, the law of God, I've said this many times. I need to say it again. People need to hear this. It is, in order to understand the Torah, in order to understand the law of God, think of it like the law of the land. Because that's really what it is, basically. It's like the law of the land. I mean, it should be. The lawmakers today should be using the Torah as the law that should be. Uh, that's the way Moses did it, and that's the way the Jewish people did it for a long time, okay? And it served them very well. According to the law of God, I mean, you, you obey it, you'll be blessed. And they were blessed when they did obey it. They were very, very blessed. So, let's suppose you are living in a state that, that practices capital punishment. Okay? So if I ask you, do you, are you a law-abiding citizen? I mean, I mean, I, do you obey the laws of your country, your state? Most Christians would say yes. What if I came back to those Christians and said, well, who did you put in an electric chair? Are you still putting people in an electric chair? When's the last time you put someone in an electric chair? When's the last time you, um, you know, did this, executed capital punishment on somebody. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to use that kind of an, an argument. Because in context, just like it is in the laws of the land today. And here's another example. Let's say, let's say somebody steals from you, okay? Say someone steals from you. And it says in the law that the person, you know, theft, theft under 5,000, you, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm just, I'll just make something up like 30 days in jail. Okay. So let's say someone stole from you. And if I come to you and say, oh yeah, you know, J Johnny stole from you. Yeah, he did. You obey the law. You, you obey the law of the land. Do you like you obey the law of your, you know, the laws of your county and your state or your country? Oh yeah, I do. I do it. Well, where's he, where'd you lock him up then? Because in the law, it says you're supposed to lock him up. He's supposed to be in jail for 30 days. Where'd you lock him up? Where'd you lock him up? It's, it's a given. It's very, it's very, um, it's it. It should be known that it's not the common person's, the common man, so to speak. It's not their job to lock anybody up. It's the job of law enforcement to arrest someone, and it's the job of the judge to actually pr pr uh, pronounce the sentence upon the person. In the same way, that's the way it worked back in the days of Moses. They had judges. They had judges. And so to think that someone who obeys the Torah has to obey the law of a judge or the law of an executioner or something like that, 
and another thing is too, you don't understand how it works in, according to the law. A lot of people, they do not understand it. On, um, so in the days of, of Jesus, that's what they did back in those days as well. They misinterpreted it. You know what? Maybe they didn't misinterpret it, but they just they just used it as a as an excuse. You know, when when Jesus said, you know, you've heard it said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, love your enemies. Well, yeah, it tells you both in the Torah, by the way. It tells you eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and also tells you to love your enemies. It tells you that in Exodus chapter 23. It tells you that in Leviticus chapter 19 twice. Okay. The problem is those people in those days, they hid behind one commandment as an excuse to break several other commandments. So, so they hid behind eye for eye, tooth for tooth as an excuse to break all the other laws that tell you to love your enemy because they misappropriated, they miscategorized that eye for eye, tooth for tooth law. The eye for eye, tooth for tooth law is for the judges. It's for those who are, it's for the, um, for the law enforcement, the law enforcement, the, the, and the, uh, the judges. It's the judicial laws, not the personal laws. So they hide behind the judicial laws in order to justify, you know, uh, breaking the personal laws. What I mean by personal laws is laws such as, uh, do not hold a grudge. In Leviticus chapter 19, love your neighbors yourself. In Leviticus chapter 19, do good, help those, help your enemies when they need help. Exodus chapter 23. Okay. So it's very important. Very important to, to understand that. Um, I, on Podbean there, Francisca, did you have a, a question? Uh, I see. I'm sorry. I was just in the middle of something here. Did you want to? Call in. Yeah, just let me know there, Francisca, if you're still there. So, again, just, just to be very clear here, also, so this, this one question, also, do you stone those that break the law as it is written to do so? Well, am I a judge? Am I the Sanhedrin? And also, you got... Other parts of the law that apparently, Manny, Manny you, you don't understand or you don't know the other parts of the law also, such as you need two or three witnesses against a person in order to even be judged. I mean, there, there are lots of different conditions that, that, needs, that needs to be met. That's, that's the reason why, if you see, even in the scriptures, even in the days of Moses, all the way through Jewish history, how many people were actually stoned? There were some. Few. Few. Okay. Why is it that there's only few that, that actually was um, sentenced in this way and they received this, this kind of punishment? Why was there only just few? Because the conditions were so hard to meet. There were so many conditions to meet. You can't just say, oh, hey, I, you know, I saw Johnny Boy you know, break one law. I got to stone him right now. That's not how it worked. 
That's just not how it worked. So questions like this, obviously, it's, I would encourage you, Manny, to, to actually study the law of God. Study the Torah. You might say, why, why should I study the Torah? Well, because most Christians would tell you that the New Testament is built upon the quote-unquote Old Testament. And if you don't have your foundation solid, how can you have the building solid? If you don't have your knowledge of the Torah and the law and the prophets solid, how can, your, how can the building be solid? If you want to have a good spiritual building, Manny, you should study the Tanakh. It's another word for what Christians call the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. Study it. Know it inside and out. Know it very, very well. Think about it. Meditate on it. So we have in the chat... We have Psalm 94. Psalm 94 says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Welcome. Good to see you. Vinny says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, Vinny. Welcome. Good to see you. And BB says, Shalom. What? Shalom. One. Shalom in two all. Shalom. Good to see you. Welcome. Christina says the modern church will basically say killing the Messiah gave me a license to sin. That's it. That's it right there. Yeah. That's and that's a very sad situation. They don't they don't really think about it because they say that the Messiah basically their sin killed the Messiah. But you know that it was my sin that put him up on the cross, but yet they keep sinning. <laughs> it's like um something wrong with the what's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? Abril, welcome. Shalom, shalom, Shavuot Tov. Shalom, welcome to you. Blessings, blessings. Yeah, one John, one John says the typical comeback comeback is if Jesus didn't die for my sins, then he died in vain. Yeah, it's it's because there's it's just such a, they have such a tunnel vision, right? In their in their doctrine, it's like it's it's got to be either this way or no way. But they don't they need to really open their eyes and and make a little bit more room in their brains to to actually take in some more information and to process more information and to see the big picture. Christina says, to say we killed Yeshua to live lawlessly is honestly worse to me than Judas betraying him for a bunch of money. And Judas is the son of perdition. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so serious, isn't it? It's very, very serious. It, it reminds me of uh, in uh, the book of Hebrews where it talks about if you have one, talk about capital punishment. If you have one who basically suffered capital punishment on the testimony of two or three witnesses for breaking the law of Moses, how much more, how much sore, I think, I think the King James puts it sore, like how much more severe punishment should it be for, for those who uh, transgress in this 
day, knowing what we know. Uh, very, very serious for sure. But the church, by and large, they go the opposite way. It's like they make it less, like it's just casual. Jordan says many twist that passage to mean the holy days. Keyword is your. Yeah, uh, speaking of Amos chapter 5. I hate, I despise your feast days. You know, when I would, if, if someone said that to me, I, I would say, okay, fine. I mean, you want to, you want to put it at, just talk about feast days. That's fine. Right. I, I would say, okay, so let's, let's talk about everything else. Let, let's, I mean, the, within the same verse, it talks about your church. So if you want to say that God hates my feast days, I will say he also, it also says he hates your sacred assemblies church and your burnt offerings and your fatted peace offerings those offerings that you put your faith in that you, that you say that yeshua fulfilled he says i will not accept them so could it be that in the day of judgment as per matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23 and matthew chapter 25 the parable of the sheep and the goats where people who many people will come to him and they would say, "Lord, Lord." I mean, they're they're coming. They're 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 fulfilling a lot of the the modern corrupt uh, narrative, right? They're they're fulfilling. You know, you got to come to Jesus. Well, they did. You got to profess Him as Lord. Yep, they did. Lord, Lord, have we not done this and done this, done that? You know, I mean, Lord, you, like, why should you cast us out? We, you've used us in, in mighty ways. You know, you have healed people through us. You have spoken through us. We've prophesied. You have cast out demons uh, through us. You know, we used your name, right? Not their name. It wasn't by their power, not their works. It was the works of God through them. And and Yeshua did not deny any of that. What he did say was, depart from me. You who work iniquity, I never knew you. So it's like, it doesn't matter how much you come to Jesus, how much you pro profess him as Lord. Of, of course, these people would have a lot of faith or else God wouldn't have been using them like that. They would have faith at least to come to Jesus and to call him as Lord, call, uh, to, to profess him as Lord and, and do the works that they did in Jesus' name, basically trusting Jesus to work through them. But yet, Jesus, Yeshua said, I never knew you. And he, he, he cast them away. Why? He gave, he gave the actual, um, the reason. He said, you're a worker of lawlessness. In the Greek, anomian, anomian, which literally means negative to the Torah. You live like you are negative to the Torah. You are lawless, Torah-less. And in this, the parable of the sheep and the goats, he didn't say that he divided them between the, the, the faithful and the faithless. He didn't say that he divided, oh, oh, you're the ones that said the sinner's prayer. Okay, you're okay. I'm going to put you guys over here. You're, you're going to be my sheep. Oh, you didn't say the sinner's prayer. You didn't accept me as Lord and Savior. Oh, I'm going to put you over here. You're the goats. Nope. He said it was based upon their works. That's what he said. That's what he said. Read it. That's what he said. What they did or did not do. That's 
And that's what he, according to him, that's how Judgment Day is going to go down. Never once did he mention grace or faith in any of that. Don't get me wrong, I do believe it takes grace and faith, for sure. Lots of grace. I mean, I guess I keep on saying, I mean, every every breath I breathe, every everything we do is by grace, you know, in 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 my faith, everything. One John says the illogical circular logic is that if a person is responsible for their own salvation, that is works, and works will not save you. And you know what? Too let, let me just let me just say something. They make their own works. They do. Like they they make their own Torah. They do. It's like, well, how do I get saved then? Just accept Jesus. Like so, basically, they they make their own law. They make their own Torah. So if you ask these people, how do I get saved? They'll say, oh, you want to get saved? Praise God. Bow your head and pray after me. Wait a second. That's works. You're telling, you're, you're telling me I have to do something? You're telling me I have to pray. That's a work. You're telling me I have to confess Jesus? That's a work. Somebody might even, might even um, argue that accepting the Lord is... Uh, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior is work too, depending on how you do that. So they 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 actually trash the Word of God and they write their own Word of God. They write their own Torah, and then they say it's not by works. It's not by works. So what they really say is this: It's not by the works you're telling me to do. It's by the works I'm telling you to do. That's what they're really saying, right? It's like, it's not by the works that, that, that Moses told you to do. It's by the works that I'm telling you to do. Bow your head right now and say this. Come forward. Come forward. Everybody put, bow their heads right now. Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. That's a work. That's a work. Going forward at a church. Actually, even going to church is a work. Going to a Billy Graham meeting, that's a work. Going going forward in a Billy Graham altar call, that's a work. Bowing your head and praying, that's another work. Confessing Jesus as your Lord, that's another work. So they make their own, it's a double standard. It's a double standard. You're not saved by works, according to my definition of works, but you are saved by the works I'm telling you to do. Basically, that's what they're saying. The Great Deception says, Shalom, everyone. Shalom, brother. Good to see you. Welcome. Paulina says, Is it a sin to use fire during Shabbat according to Exodus 35.3? So uh, we'll go there, but um, what I'll say is this. In those days, it was hard to, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, um, it wasn't easy to, it wasn't like just going to a thermostat and turning a dial. Uh, it, I think, you know, making a fire was, was, a, was actually a work. However, there are exceptions as well. Okay. So the, the, the passage goes, excuse me. It says, you shall not kindle, or excuse me, you shall kindle no fire throughout your habitations upon the Sabbath day. Okay. So in the, in the, cultural conduct 
context context here. What is what does it take to kindle a fire? I've seen some of the old, you know, I mean, we're, we're basically we're spoiled nowadays, aren't we? Like, I mean, we just, you know, turn a knob and fire comes out or just turn a little thing or flick a switch or, you know, <laughs> just very easy ways to make it to, uh, to light a fire now. Um, back in those days, I would argue that it might not be that easy, especially you shall kindle no fire. What does that mean to kindle? Let's just check it on the, in the um, Hebrew here. You shall kindle. Ba, ba'ar is the Hebrew name or the Hebrew word, excuse me. Um, so it says like to burn, to burn, consume, kindle, be kindled, to begin to burn, be kindled, start burning. So it's, you know, basically, um, that's basically what it means. So I think that it's talking about working. Now, in in the um in the context, in context here, if let's say, for example, if it's super cold out, you know, it's like m- super freezing cold. Somebody could die if they don't have heat or get sick. That's not God's will. So in that case, I believe that the law of God that protects your health and your well-being supersedes anything else. Like how um, Yeshua said when he was picking grain on the Sabbath, and they tried to get him for that. And he's like, wait a second. He's like, wait a second. You, you understand? We were very, we were very hungry. Basically, we needed, we needed food. It's, it, it was something we needed. Uh, then he, he, he uh, refers back to David, saying, you know, back in David's day, King David's day, um, he was hungry, and he ate the showbread off of the table in the, t- in the temple. I mean, that's a big no-no. But he ate that, and that was, that was okay. That was acceptable to do because the law of protecting your health the law that protects your health and your well-being is is a higher law than the laws of the temple so your health and well-being supersedes that of even the temple so what i'm saying is if kindling a fire is needed to maintain your health Definitely, it's not wrong to kindle a fire. In fact, I would argue that if someone is in need of heat, you go outside, depending on, I'm not sure what, there's different parts of the earth that get really, really cold. Uh, They have winter and it gets really, really cold. So you got people that are out on the streets that are freezing to death every year. And so to go out there and to actually Kindle a fire for them to save their life on Sabbath. I believe that is not only acceptable by the Lord, but that is con- commendable by the Lord. He will honor that, and he will uh, he will bless you for that. So, I don't think that kindling a fire, that particular scripture is talking about 
just turning a knob. I think it's something that was like really hard work, like how you see some of these uh, videos where people start a fire from scratch, like no matches, no nothing, just sticks and wood. And they're working hard to get it. You know, it it takes work, takes some work. So I think that's in context. That's really what it's talking about. Um, So. Yeah, I, I would say it's not a sin in in the context of if you need the fire for for yourself, for yourself, uh, for, you know, for your health or well being. Definitely not a sin. Uh, and we're living in we're living in a different culture today. Um, that said, if there's something you can do to um, to minimize the need of working for a fire on, on Sabbath. And, you know, that needs to be, um, you need to take every kind of, you, know, you do whatever you need to do to, to, to make that provision so that you don't have to work for a fire on Sabbath. But I do believe there is leniency there. Paulina, very good question. Thank you very much, Paulina. Christina says, I, I hate when they ask that question about stoning people. No, I'm not an elder at the gate of the temple. So why would I be stoning people? Anyone? Yeah. And that's it. Um, They don't understand the conditions that need to be met. They don't understand that it's not really for anyone at any time. It's not like you just walk around, walk down the street and say, Oh, I caught someone, you know, I'm going to stone them right away because I'm a Torah observer. That's not just not how it works. It just goes to show their ignorance, really. Now I would say, if that's how it works, why don't they do that? Why don't they do that in Israel today, in the ultra orthodox community? That I mean, these people bend over backwards and then some to to uh, observe the Torah. Will Senior says, "My understanding is to kill, is to kindle fire, is to as they did the collection and laboring of the field to kindle fire." During winter, they had to stay warm or freeze to death. We will warm up our food, our food to cook. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. That's another thing I didn't really mention there is is the uh, to kindling a fire. You have to go out there and you have to actually. It's not just it's not just you know uh, rubbing sticks together vigorously for like twenty minutes. It's not just that, but it's um, it's actually going out there and gathering all the all the materials as well to do that. Great Deception says it took a high priest to convict and two to three witnesses. Will Senior advises to microwave, do light meals in the kitchen. I think that the bottom, like the real bottom line is this, is like Shabbat is to be holy, right? And remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And I think that's really the bottom line is that it, it, it don't work on the Sabbath day in the sense of don't do your normal work. Don't like, don't, don't treat it like another day. Treat it as a special, this is a special day, a day to enjoy, a day to take a day off, enjoy yourself, uh, to keep it holy, set apart. 
Christina says, I think the guy stoned for gathering wood on the Sabbath had plenty of time during the week leading up that he could have stacked wood before the Sabbath. Yeah, not, not only that, but if you read the um, the Jewish commentaries on that, I, I, I like the way that they explain that. Uh, they said according, like if you look at in the in the Hebrew, the grammar, the Hebrew grammar, the way it's put is that the implication there is that that guy that was gathering um, gathering wood on the Sabbath day, uh, he was warned and warned and warned. And he just um, very obstinate, very, very like, very rebellious. Like, I don't care. Like, uh, I don't care what you say. I don't care what God says. I'm doing it anyway kind of attitude. So that's really the the way the Jewish scholars and com, uh, commentators uh, put it. Uh, and that's how it is uh, traditionally interpreted. So it's not like they just found someone, oh, look, at he's doing something, then they just stone him. No, it, apparently they gave him plenty of time and plenty of uh, opportunity to repent, uh, to not do it, but he just kept, he just stayed with it. One of the one of the um, arguments is is that in the Hebrew it's it's in present tense like gathering instead of gathered like like a man was you know a man gathered you know um, logs on a Sabbath that that shows you that he did it now he's not doing it that's something that happened but he's not you know he he's he's not doing it anymore but the way it's put in the Hebrew is it was he was gathering. And in that context, and in that in the uh, Hebrew grammar, um, along uh, as well as in, along the lines of all the um, other laws of the Torah, for example, two or three witnesses they needed, and so putting all the pieces of the puzzle together, so to speak, that particular guy um, had to have been warned, and he just just being very obstinate. And just really, he knew what he was doing. He chose, he knew what the um, punishment would be. He knew what, what, uh, um, what the penalty would be, and he didn't care. And that's really the, uh, the, the context of it. Yeah, the appropriate says, I think the process of stoning by the whole community made the whole community strive to make crimes not happen. Thus, they probably made them rare. Yeah, that was really the whole idea. Will says he's 100% agreement on kindling fire. One John says... I did a service call for a Jewish woman on Shabbat. She had no lights on and wouldn't sign my order because of Shabbat. Yet the action of me having the action of having me work broke Sabbath anyways. Talmud over Torah. See, some Jewish people, um, I'm not sure, you know, um, if you are not part of the Jewish community and they 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 count you as a Gentile, so According to Talmud, yeah, it's like, according to Talmud, uh, it's like, it's okay to let 
you know, to get a Gentile to do the work for you. Now, you can have a Gentile turn your lights on and kindle the fire. And that's what a lot of these Jewish people believe, right? It's like, it's okay, just call a good old Johnny the Gentile, right? Call good, good old Johnny the Gentile to cut your grass on Sabbath and turn the lights on and you know, all, do all kinds of stuff as long as you don't do anything. Um, yeah, so I don't think that's, that's, uh, that's really according to the written Torah. Great Deception says, I live off grid. I use a wood stove. A lot of people would envy that. I gather and chop wood before the Sabbath. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's a very, uh, a lot of people would, I know a lot of people that would, they're really, they would love to be in that position for sure. Mark says, Shalom, Shalom, Mark. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome. Okay, so let's finish up with uh, the last three chapters of the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. Let's start reading Joshua chapter 22, verse 1. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I command you. You have not left your, your, your brothers these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Now, therefore, return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of, this, of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, of the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Let me just stop here for a second. This is very interesting because we have another, yet another. You know, we need to tally all this stuff up, but we have yet another piece of evidence that people are able, they do obey all the commandments of the Torah. You know, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, uh, commanded you. And you and you have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. See, so we have we have evidence here. And people, even back in those days, they did everything that 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 applied to them. Verse seven. Now, before I go, before I just gotta say this. um now to those nominal Christians that that the the modern narrative, I would I would say, hey, why doesn't it say here, hey, uh, you know, um, Joshua called to the Reubenite and called the Reubites, the uh, Gadites, and the, and the half tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, okay, I know you guys tried to obey the Torah, but I know you guys can't because the Torah is too hard to obey. You can't you can't obey all the commandments. No way. The commandments are just here just to show you guys how much of a sinner you guys are. And then you need the Messiah, you know, and the Messiah, oh, he's going to come, well, you know, sometime down the line. But, 
uh, you guys just got to keep plugging away at it. Why did he not say that? He said the opposite, right? He said, you have kept everything. You have kept all the commandments. You have not left your your brother these days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. Okay. Down to verse 7. Now to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their, their brothers on this side of the Jordan westward. And indeed, when, Mo, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much, much riches to your tents, with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great impressive altar. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them. Then the children of Israel sent Phinehas, or the Hebrew pronunciation would be Pinchas, Pinchas, the son of Eliezer the priest, to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, to the half-tribe of Manasseh, into the, hand, into the land of Gilead, and with that, with him, ten rulers, one one ruler each from the ch- chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. Then they came to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and to the half tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke with them, saying, "Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord." What treachery is this that you have committed against the Lord, the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord in that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might re- rebel this day against the Lord? Is this or is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed to this to this day? Although there, had, there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, but that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord, where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us, 
but do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on the on all the congregation of Israel, and that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel, The Lord God of excuse me, the Lord God of gods, and the Lord God of God, excuse me, the Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knows. And let Israel itself know if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer it or offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. But, in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, In time to come, your descendants may speak to our descendants, saying, What have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord. So your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burning offering, not for burnt offering or nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us in, uh, or to our generations in time to come, that we, we may say, here is a replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar to, uh, for, for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. Then Phinehas, the son of Eliezer the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas, the son of Eliezer the priest, and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad, from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought back word to them. So this thing pleased the children of Israel, 
And the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness. For it is a witness between us and or that the Lord is God. Joshua chapter 23. Now it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua was old, advanced in age, and Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders, their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations beside, because, because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has fought for you. See, I have divided to you by lot these nations that remain, to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan, with all the nations that I have cut off, as far and as, as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. So you shall possess their land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them, nor bow down to them, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. Therefore, be careful. Take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you do go back and cling to the remnant of these nations, these that remain among you, and make, and, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and, and they to you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you and scourges on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold this day, I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in, your, in, in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all the good things have come upon you in the, which the Lord your God promised you, so the Lord will bring upon you all harmful things until he has destroyed you from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, 
which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. Joshua chapter 24. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel, for their heads, for their judges, and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. Also I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwell on the other side of it, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came to Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. But I delivered them to your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with not with your sword or with your bow. It's just, this is very interesting, the hornet. Let's quickly look this up, Josh. Different uh, Bible translations. Of course, the King James says hornet, and same with the New King James. The NLT says terror. In the footnote, it says, often rendered the hornet, meaning the meaning of the Hebrew is uncertain. NIV says hornet. ESV says hornet. CSB says hornets or sent terror. And the NASB says hornets as well. And ET says terror. Okay, most of them say hornet, but we got we got a 
difference of opinion there. I guess some translators think terror is a better translation. Others think hornet is. Verse 13 of Joshua 24. I have given you a land for which you did not labor and cities which you did not build and you built in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods of your fathers, which your fathers served on the other side of the river. In the footnote, the river here is the Euphrates. Euphrates and same with the other uh, references to the river earlier on in this chapter. The Euphrates and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Very famous, very famous um, passage there. Verse 16, so the people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Notice it doesn't say, they didn't say that they, that God brought them into bondage when he gave them the Torah. He brought them out of bondage. who did those great signs in your sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the people throughout or through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites who dwell in the land. We, all, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and, and do you harm and consume you after he has done, good, done you good. By the way, this reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 18, the last part of it. Talking about if you do good, but then you do, you do evil after that, and God will not consider any of the good that you did, but only the evil. And the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves, that you have chosen. You have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. See, this is a different covenant, another covenant. 
in the literally in the footnotes here it says cut a covenant this is the covenant of joshua right lots of different testaments very very deceiving misleading to put to slap old testament on every book from genesis to malachi there are many many testaments many covenants contained in that scope of books so joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made them made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. So I guess this, let me just stop here for a second. This is, this is evidence that Joshua did write in the quote-unquote books of Moses after Moses passed away. Moving on, and he took a large stone and set it up under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness to us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. It shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. And this is very interesting. Again, you know, I just got to stop here for a second and talk about this because this is very, very interesting. Because once again, we have an, ina an inanimate object that's actually a witness. We have a, an object that serves as a witness. And the way Joshua puts it here, like, for it has heard all the words of the Lord, which he spoke to us. It shall be, uh, therefore, it, it shall there, excuse me, it shall therefore be a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So again, the idea that objects, material things can transmit some kind of, it can be like a conduit of, of, of the spiritual realm. Uh, we find it here as well. It's just very, very intriguing. And we, I know we we read about this before. We read about this before in the in the book of Genesis, where we got a stones, you know, stones or a heap of stones that was put up as witness. But we don't. We didn't read like it wasn't so explicitly spelled out for us, clearly spelled out for us in the way this is, because it says for it. I mean, stone. It has heard the words of the Lord, which He spoke to us. Hmm. I just find that interesting. Verse 28. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him within the border of his inheritance in Timnath Serah which is in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gaash. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. A lot of these things too is um, a lot of these tombs are still, they still claim that they exist. Uh, like this is just a quick little thing here. Um, this this is claimed to be the tomb of Joshua right here. Different different uh, pictures of different uh, angles of it. The tomb of Joshua. 
Very, very interesting. Very interesting. Moving on with Joshua chapter 24, verse 31. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. I find it interesting that it says, it makes it, it, it makes it very clear that the Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua. In other words, after Joshua passed away, they didn't. And that's the case, actually. After Joshua passed away, they did not serve the Lord. It doesn't take long for corruption to set in. It does not take long. In all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for, for Israel. So Israel served the Lord. Again, see, Joshua in the Hebrew is Yahushua or Yeshua. Uh, and the elders, all the days of the elders that are that outlived Yeshua, that could like this could be like a picture of Yeshua and the his disciples who outlived him. And it says that Israel or the the church, so to speak, um, the people of God served the Lord all the days of Yeshua and of his, basically his disciples. But after that, that's when corruption set in. It reminds me of Hegesippus, uh, the historical writings of Hegesippus, where, it's, where Hegesippus said that when the 12 disciples were gone, when they passed away, then the church fell into corruption. Verse 32, the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel had brought up out of Egypt, they buried at Shechem in the plot of ground, which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of silver, and which had become an inheritance of the children of, of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. They buried him in a hill belonging to Phinehas, his son, which was given to him in the mountains of Ephraim. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Congratulations, guys. You and I, you guys, and we have been, we actually went through another book, another book. It seems like it was going, it went pretty fast, didn't it? Went pretty fast. Let me check some of your comments here. Yeah, Christina says, I think paying someone to sin is sinful, even though it doesn't say explicit, it doesn't explicitly say that. It says no one should work. That said, I don't think flipping your switch, your light switch is work. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Christina. Um, yeah, like as we've went, we went through the entire, uh, the entire uh, Pentateuch and in the book of Joshua here. And uh, yeah, I find in, in quite clear that the, uh, the law of God, the instructions of God is for Jew and Gentile alike, stranger and native born alike, one law. So it seems to me like some people, you know, they try to find, they try to find ways around things. You know, they try to find loopholes and stuff. So I, I don't think that the Torah is only for the Jewish people. I think it's for whosoever will. Those who join themselves to the to the uh, to the children of Israel. HP says, uh, "Am I required to confess all of the sins I've ever committed to everyone I know and meet to a priest or to God?" 
Super good question. Um, you got to be careful. Uh, there are enemies out there. Okay, it's very good to confess your sins to other people. And they, I mean, James made that very clear as well in, in, in the book of James. It's very, very good. Um, definitely, I'm not, you know, that's just, that's awesome. However, um, we need to be careful who we talk to because a lot of people are very malicious, right? And they can use that information against you. Um, so you got to be careful. You got to be careful who you confess to. I mean, I mean, even, even if it's something simple, like, you know, Hey, like I, I actually did work on, on Sabbath, you know, last weekend, you know, and, um, even if it's something simple like that, um, gotta be careful. It's, it's, it's really good. It's, it's really good to confess to one another and to in confessing to one another is, 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 let me just put it this way. I don't think, I don't think that we should just confess to God as to say that just God and God alone in prayer and you're in your closet all by your private self. I think that part of confessing to God is also confessing before his people. Not in all circumstances, though. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm trying to bring a balance here because there are some people, it's like they would confess only in their prayer closet to God alone, and they, they won't confess to anybody else. And that's very con that's conducive to a to a hypocritical lifestyle because you're you know you're hiding too much from too many people. And so you gotta strike a good balance. And you gotta always remember um what Yeshua taught and what's taught in the scriptures that there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. So, I mean, that's a very humbling thing to think about. That said, just be careful. It, there is power and it is something that, it, it, like I said, James talks about it. There is power in confessing your sins to other people. Because that brings you to a new, that brings you to another level of humility, and not only that, but it also you also get the support if you confess your sins to the right people, you get the support of those people as well, and so that's another good um, a good thing about confessing to other people. So yes, you confess to God, like you know, in your own private prayer life for sure. It's good to confess to other people too. Definitely good to, to confess to other people, not to just just to confess to God. Just be careful. When you confess to other people, that can help bring it out. Because, you know, sometimes confessing to other people is like confessing it to the Lord himself anyway. I mean, you think about in Matthew chapter 25, when Yeshua said, you did it to me. You did it to the, you did it to the least of these. You did it to me. You didn't feed them. You didn't feed me. Or you fed them. You fed me. God and His people are very, very inseparable. So you can't. I don't think it's. I do not think it's. I mean, for someone to say, I only confess my sins to God, not to anybody else. I mean, really, you're separating God from his people. 
he's he's in the midst of his people. Is what I'm what I'm saying. Like for example, when Daniel in the book of Daniel was talking to uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he said basically he's like you know tell it and tell your dream to God basically, and God will tell you, but. In telling him, he was like it was like telling the Lord. In in Nebuchadnezzar talking to Daniel, it was like it was like Nebuchadnezzar was talking to the Lord. Although he wasn't talking to the Lord, it was like he was talking to the Lord because Daniel was a representation of the Lord. So, very good question, HP. Bottom line is, always confess to God for sure. Always you know keep it in prayer. Always be humble. And with wisdom, confess to others as well. Just be careful. Be careful you don't confess to the wrong people. Just because of... A lot of people are very malicious, that's all. Gossip, slanders. Very good question, HP. Thank you. Vinny says, when Yeshua and his disciples picked heads of wheat and ate grain in Matthew 12, they were also keeping Deuteronomy 23, 25. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads of... Ah, beautiful, beautiful, Vinny. That's really good. I actually have never uh, looked at it in that way, but that is, that is true. Yes, that's true. Very good. Uh, just to continue, I see you continue it later. You know, Deuteronomy 23, 25, when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the, the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Yeshua was always strictly Torah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The Great Deception says, was that the Raphaim, like the murderers, or like the like the murder hornets? Ah. Uh, I I really have to because it says they sent he sent the hornet. Let me just go back there. He sent the hornet um basically to work on behalf of God's people. Um ah, what am I doing here? Yeah, so that's uh, Joshua twenty four twelve. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you. Um, it's a good question. Uh, great deception. Do you have a verse or a passage or anything like that that would um, that that shows that the Rephaim were were used by God to drive out like the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Gergesites, and Hivites, and Jebusites. I'm just wondering, do you have any kind of passage like that you want to refer to? I can't think of anything offhand myself, so. Okay. 
find where I left off here. Joshua, Joshua, Joshua Foot. Welcome, brother. Good to see you as always. Says, wow, that's a cool interpretation of Joshua 24, 31. Very deep. Talking about um, Yeshua and the 12 disciples. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Whenever you got some leaders, good godly leaders that, that die or even leave out of the, like, leave for a while. You find a lot of, uh, you find people falling into corruption very fast. And you'll find, you know, Lord willing, when we get into judges, we'll see how the children of Israel went downhill very fast after Joshua and his disciples, so to speak, um, passed away. They went downhill very fast. Think about how Moses went up the, went up the hit, went up the mountain, right? Mount, Mount Sinai in, Within days, they were into corruption. Didn't take very long. Joshua says, I have a question. I recently have seen sermons posted of teachers, more in the modern Christianity teachings. What happens to people who really have good intentions but teach against the law? Like they believe in Jesus, but they just... Don't let go of the main modern modern Christianity teachings that they grow up on. That they grew up on. It's tough because some people, especially young people, are so innocent and they are just excited to share the gospel, but their doctrine is wrong and they read through this the lens of wrong teaching. Excellent question, Joshua. Um, I would say that like, the, the, the Torah would still apply to them. So, I mean, there's I mean, sinning, maybe not intentionally, the unintentional sins. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to condemn them all, you know, condemn them all to hell. Uh, although maybe the most of them will be then condemned. Um, it, most, if not all, I'm not, I just wouldn't, I, I wouldn't go to, as far as to, you know, definitively, you know, say that without exception. There are a lot of people um, in that you could also actually stretch it even further and say, what about, you know, the other religions? There are several other religions and people just live as good as they can live and you know, they do the best they can and they've never been taught any different. They never really heard the truth. It's the same. It's kind of like the same kind of thing. I think at the end of the day, the Torah still applies to everyone. So it's a very complicated, it's a very complicated thing. Because sometimes we don't know what they know, what they don't know. We don't know. We don't know all the situation, the situations that, like, if they've been told the truth and they their hearts have been enlightened, but they yet still just choose 
the corrupt narrative just because it fits their lifestyle, then of course that would be very condemnable. On the other hand, um, I just keep on thinking about the parable of the sheep and the goats. You know, I think that, you know, Yeshua basically said that's what judgment day is going to look like. So it's not even, it's not even so much that he even divided them based upon religion, so to speak. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, you know, and I know that sounds bad in, in a way, but he divided the people between those who were quote unquote saved and those who were condemned based upon their treatment of others, especially God's people. There are a lot of people I know I know people that are out preaching the truth pretty much and a lot of people who are well-meaning are very hostile toward them. It's a very difficult question to answer um Joshua. I I guess a case by case basis um they're very innocent. They would still have to account for, I mean, it all depends on what they know, what they don't know. It all depends. It all depends. It's difficult. Um, Joshua says the, the Torah still applies. I agree with you. It's just so hard to tell people about it because it has gotten such a bad rap. Nobody likes hearing it. They actually condemn us to hell for it. Yeah. Yeah. You see. So I, yeah, I, I know that I get that. Um, some people, I think I, I uh, some people for sure are definitely, Like some people that I met online, they're definitely very anti-Torah on purpose. Like they're they're definitely I think that it's very important for people to be humble enough to want to to be able to listen to other points of view. So if you got someone who is like very just very ignorant, they, they're not willing to listen. I think that's just even all the more that they they'll be responsible. It all depends on their attitude, depends on how how humble they are. It's difficult. And some some of them might there would I wouldn't doubt there but some of them might make it. Like they, I mean they'll be like, you know, enter into the joy of the Lord. Some of them would would make it. Um, because they're that sheep, but others, they're not sheep, right? They're the wolves in sheep's clothing. Many of them, actually, probably most, by far most, are wolves in sheep's clothing. Yeah, I don't know what else to, to say about that, Joshua. Let me see. Joshua says, yeah, most younger people my age will not listen to my stance on Torah. And how it fits with Yeshua, I don't blame them. I 
I blame modern Christianity. Yeah, yeah, I do too. You know, almost almost every problem that you see, if not perhaps even every problem you see in the Western world, especially, I blame on the church. The church is supposed to be the light. If it's dark, the light's not working. The church is supposed to be the salt. If it's rotten, I mean that salt has not preserved the meat very well. So I I do I I do blame the church. But people have to be humble enough to listen. This is one of the one of the things I, I said in, in one of my recent videos that I posted, um, short videos I posted on YouTube and on, on TikTok as well. Um, that's why I got some different I got different people come on as guests and I'll talk about different things like uh, yesterday, right? Yesterday for Shabbat had a couple had Onia and Jason on. We, you know, we all had different viewpoints on things. I think it's great to talk about things and, and look at different, look at things from different points of view. Um, so it all depends. It all depends how well these people actually fit. What is the, what is the, what does God require of you, right? To walk humbly, to do justly, to love mercy. Some people, they try to do justly and love mercy, but they don't walk humbly. I don't know what else to say about that, Joshua. That's an excellent question. Without, without knowing, like, I, I mean, if you, you, know, you have a certain person specifically, then we, we can talk you know, on a case-by-case -case basis. What does this guy know? What does he not know? What does he receive? What does he not receive? What's his attitude like about this? You know, this kind of thing. Like, is he really a sheep or is he a wolf in sheep's clothing? Does he just look at, does he, just, does he talk the talk? He, does he present himself as a sheep, but behind closed doors, he's not? That's basically where I think it's all at. Um, thank you very much, Joshua. Yeah, one John says this: um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah, that's a that's a well-known saying. The great deception, too. It's a good. This is a good one. Uh, Yeshua knows who are his. He will have mercy on on whom he he will have mercy. That said, tell them the truth. One John also says a hornet from the Strong's uh, a wasp stinging a hornet. Yeah, you know, um, I can't I can't think of anything right now that comes to mind. Of like, is there a verse out there that you guys can shoot that actually, you know, in in the um, conquest of Canaan that it says apart from here, I mean, this is Joshua chapter 24 is looking back, you know, this is what already happened, but does it say that they, that God sent wasps or hornets? I know it does say basically that God sent terror 
because it says that you know the terror of the of the, everybody was afraid of these people. Everybody was afraid of the children of Israel. So God really did send terror in that sense. Unless I'm unless something is slipping my mind here. But do you guys know of any verse at all that actually explicitly says you know in wherever in Numbers or in uh, Exodus or Deuteronomy where it says that God sent hornets. Um, as in wasps. Let me see here. Actually, it does. Um, Exodus 23, 28. I will send hornets. I'll just show you guys. Exodus 23, 28. And I will send hornets before you, and they shall drive out the... Okay. Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them in Deuteronomy until they are left and hide themselves from you. Um, let me see here. Again, let's go to this hornet. Yeah, it's just it's just translated hornets three times, right? So the one once is in Joshua and the other two times in Exodus and Deuteronomy. But then again, it has a question mark. Hornets, um, question mark as wounding, prostrating. So it seems to be that it is true that it's it's kind of not certain what it means. The hornets, hornets, wasps, perhaps, perhaps from the idea of piercing, which does not differ from that of striking, a scourge. Uh, but but the hornets by which the Canaanites are said to be driven from their dwellings seems hardly capable of being literally understood. As metaphorically as designating ills and calamities of various kinds. Yeah, so it seems like literally, yeah, it says hornets, literally. But, I mean, you can take it, we can take it literally and say, okay, it was hornets. It does seem kind of like, can you imagine, you know, a nation being driven out by hornets? I mean, I mean it's possible. It's possible, but it could be, could be too, like hornet, it could be something else. It could be metaphorically, it could be something else that drove them out. So, but that's, I mean, that's kind of up, up to um, interpretation. Yeah, the Great Deception says, like in Exodus with the spies saying we were like grasshoppers. That's a good, uh, yeah, that's a good one. Joshua says, for example, I was telling some about the idea and belief of the Two messiahs in Jerusalem in Judaism, excuse me, and some just don't care to hear it. But it's very important context in how we we can more accurately explain the case for Yeshua being both 
especially to the Jewish people. Yeah, I totally hear you. I've heard the Jewish people. T- I've heard Jewish people talk about that, and I, I get you on that for sure. And that's it too. I mean, you. I think one of the most valuable virtues that anybody could ever have is humility, the ability to listen, to hear someone else out, even if it's hard to hear out, even if it's hard to hear. Christina makes a good point too as well. I don't think any Christian that has a Bible would be able to plead that they don't they, they didn't know the law. That's another that's another good point. You know, it's like hey, you were it reminds me of um Luke chapter 16, right? It's like the rich man's like, you know, send Lazarus back to my my family to tell to warn them not to come to this place of eternal torment. Well, they they are they already have the books of Moses. If if um if they don't go if they don't believe that they're not going to believe if someone comes back from the dead Joshua says it's it's just very annoying i i hear you yeah i mean if you really have someone in your heart and your mind to to share that kind of stuff with. I mean, just it's a matter of prayer. It's a matter of really catching them at the right time. I found some people, it depends on how you, you know, I found if you pray, pray heavy just before you go talk to somebody, that can help. I mean, and it sounds, it sounds overly simple, but really, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I used to, I used to go approaching strangers on the street. Like, you know, I used to do this quite a bit, like back, 30 years ago, I used to approach people on the street, strangers. And um, I found if I wasn't prayed up before I go talk to these people, they'd be very much like, oh, oh, like, I don't want to hear you. But if I was like, if I was like, I used to have a, a friend of mine with me and I'd say, okay, it's time to go pray up, right? So we go to, we go to some behind some, into some back alley or something, right? And we'd start, we just pray, 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 pray until, yeah, we're ready to go. We're, we're, we're ready to take on the world now, right? And see, the first person we meet and we start talking to them about the Lord, it's like, boom, it just opens up. It's just, it's, it's really good. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's something. Some people that can help. Some people, on the other hand, too, it's like, um, you know, it's like they're, ne- they're never going to get it. Uh, unfortunately, they're never going to get it. And sometimes you just got to let them go. Great Deception says, examine all things, hold fast to what is true. Amen. Joshua says, it's actually crazy that people will tell new believers entering into, into faith to start in Matthew and not with the Torah. Uh, they don't have any context of what is being talked about in the Gospels. And that is so true, Joshua. That is so true. It's like they're trying to read a Jewish text from a, you know, through a Gentile lens. They're trying to, they're trying to think about it through, you know, a Gentile's way of thinking. It's just, it doesn't really, it doesn't translate out very well. They can't understand it. It reminds me, I, um, I have scheduled this coming Friday, that'll be March 11th, 7 p.m., Lord willing, 
I have scheduled this Friday to, I want to take the whole live stream and talk about the gospel of John. I've been talking about this for months. You, you guys know this. You guys who, you know, you've been there, you've, you've heard me talk about this many, many times. I've been talking about this for months. And I thought, you know what, it's time to do this, especially after yesterday, you know, is this the topic comes up over and over and over again. So I just want to take the whole entire live stream and let's just let's just talk about the gospel of John and talk about all the pros, all the not so pros, all the things that really line up, all the other things that seems to be like I said, some things are questions, you know, questions about things that without getting into too much because it will take an entire live stream to talk about. So Lord willing, this coming Friday, Erev Shabbat, we will talk about the book of John. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Christina says, Zora, Zora and Joshua... 1533 means town of hornets. Wow. Okay. I, I, that's, I wasn't aware of that either. Joshua says, I think that is how wrong teaching gets planted in modern Christianity because they read the New Testament with an anti-Semitic lens and they have a weak knowledge of Tanakh. That's it right there. That's right, right there. And they, they add error to error to error because they take it from one step to the next to the next. And it's just like a, a weed of, of uh, error. They build error on error on error. Great Deception says, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Amen. Joshua says, I can tell from experience because that is what happened to me. Also says, uh, oh, yes, the Gospel of John. I'll be there on the 11th for sure. I have heard from Jews that they believe it to be a Kabbalah teaching document, uh, meaning it is a it is a sod level of teaching of Yeshua not to be taken literal. And it's a deeper message of what things we taught. They said that the main message is trying how, is tying how Messiah is Torah. So when he says, I am the way, truth, and the life, the writings in the Tanakh says the same about the Torah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, the book of John is a very, very interesting uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting discussion for sure. There's so much difference difference between the Gospel of John as opposed to the Synoptic Gospels. So we'll just give you a little hint. One of the things we'll talk about is the differences and the order of events, and you know the his, his, historical accuracy of the of the uh, Gospel of John compared to the the Synoptics. Plus a lot more. Lots more we'll talk about. And we'll do it from the most objective, 
truth-seeking, truth-finding perspective that we can possibly get. The Great Deception says the seminaries are much to blame. Yeah, that's true. Jeff says, study to show yourself approved. Yes, amen to that. Joshua says, I just recently came across the four levels of Torah interpretation. Maybe John is like the New Testament sod level for Yeshua. All right. Sounds interesting. Yeah, and we'll uh we'll talk about all that stuff on Friday. And by the way, again, if you didn't hear it in the beginning, um on Wednesday evening, Lord willing, we'll have Jordan Thomas with us for some live music. It's been a while since Jordan has uh, joined us, but we'll have him back on Wednesday evening for a little while. And uh, he'll sing some songs, um, sing some songs and do some worship and have a great time. Joshua says, because some Jews say it's a mystical document. Yes. The book of John is so, so, so different. The gospel of John is so different than the rest of the, of the gospels. Okay, guys, that's it for tonight. Tomorrow, Lord willing, we'll be back. One John says, I'm glad we're going into the New Testament. I'd like to get into the Gospel of Thomas also. Yes, I would, I would like to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Get into all that kind of stuff. The Great Deception says, thank you, brother. Much love to you all. Shalom. Yes, brother. Blessings multiplied to you, brother. Thank you for your questions, comments, and your fellowship. You're a blessing. All of you guys are a blessing. All you guys are awesome. Love you guys. You guys are awesome. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for your comments. Thanks for your fellowship. So we'll be back same time, same place tomorrow evening. And pick up where we left off. Get into the scriptures. Get into more questions and comments. And uh, yeah, have a great time as always. Some good fellowship. Amen. Joshua Foote says, Shalom, brother. May Hashem bless you and keep you. Thanks for your time. Thank you for sharing, Joshua. Thank you for your time as well. Your blessing. One John says, thanks so much as always. Thank you as well. Vinny says, thanks. Thank you, Christopher. God bless everyone. Shalom. Multiplied back to you, brother. Okay, guys. As always, blessings poured out upon you. Multiplied. To, uh, multiplied to you guys. You guys are awesome. I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow.